for your weekly dose of Wayne's Comics. It's episode 145 of the Wayne's Comics Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Did you pick up Black Market number three this week when you went to the comic store? I hope you did because this week's interview is with Frank Barberi, the creator of that great book and other books including Five Ghosts, White Suits, and Solar Man of the Atom. We talk about how this excellent Boom Studios comic came to be. We delve into his other projects as well. What's really interesting is Solar Man of the Atom, which some folks want to call Woman of the Atom because there's a new character in there. He talks about how he got into comics with five ghosts and what it's like to work for multiple companies at the same time. So I'm sure you're going to want to hear what he has to say. There's a lot to get to, so let's get on with the show. Welcome to the podcast, Frank J. Barberi, creator of Black Market from Boom Studios and many other good things, too, including Five Ghosts and some other good stuff that we'll talk about a little bit. How are you doing today, Frank? I'm doing well. Thank you so much for having me. Well, it's good to talk with you. Why don't we jump right into Black Market and talk about this? It's doing pretty well. There's a lot of people who really love it. The bookstore that I go to, they have it prominently displayed up there so people can actually get a good chance to, to pick it up and buy oh, it. That, that is- so good to hear on my end. <laughs> <laughs> so why don't you talk a little bit about how Black Market came to be? How did you come up with the concept and how did it happen? Uh, so Black Market is actually pretty interesting as it is one of the, quote, pitches I had. So just like a concept ready to go way before I actually broke into comics. I'd say almost like three years old, three years old from like this year, uh, which doesn't sound so long. But again, when you're when stuff moves so fast, I mean, I really say, like, it was with the publication of Five Ghosts that things kind of started off, which was only March 2013. So I've had a really great opportunity to bring a lot of stuff I was sitting on, including White Suits was another book that actually predates Five Ghosts being published that I ended up being able to do as well. But uh, Black Market was a book that I was really passionate about. I had tried to start out and was kind of like workshopping with a buddy of mine early on. We just go hang out and talk about it and, uh, Really, it was born of a love of Breaking Bad, quite obviously. I feel like uh, <laughs> that's been a great touchstone for, for many of us who kind of love antiheroes. And antiheroes in a sense that they're not necessarily like vigilantes or anything like that, but good men who are forced to do bad things. So again, we get a lot of that, like I think, about Dexter as well, who's not necessarily forced, but but it's just the circumstance. And, and I know that's a lot of TV influence, but uh, <laughs> it's uh, certainly came about when I was thinking like, oh, well, I really love crime. I like being bad a lot, but how would this work better in a comic? Like, what could make this uniquely a comic and not just Breaking Bad? And it's funny, when I initially was talking about it, like, uh, Ray had, like, a sixth son and things like that, and it was just kind of too close, like, the motivation was all the same, and as a writer, I mean, you want to take things you like and produce something new, so I really kind of 
ended up putting it to the uh, putting it on the back burner. But I had the main nugget of what if a man had to steal blood and organs as it turns from superheroes. So effectively, he would have to kill or really hurt and operate outside of the law to these kind of big figures in society. Like that, like irony, I really fell in love with and thought really had a story there. Like, what if it was necessarily a good man, but he just made this discovery and he knew, like in his heart, he could save the world, so to speak, if he did this one bad thing, like, what would that lead to? Like, who would he be? Like, would the government know? And a lot of those questions were popping up. I was really, really excited about it, but I just, like, could not get it together. Like, I, I had a few artists who I was trying to work with who were great, but we just, you, you just kind of know. Comics is one of those things, once you start making them, like, it either happens or it doesn't, and it just wasn't happening. And I was... So uh, fast forward to last year at San Diego Comic-Con, I met with my, who became my editor, Eric Harburn, and I think, uh, I think Matt Gagnon was there too, but uh, Eric had really liked what I was doing at Five Ghosts, and uh, I think he had seen some of the white suit shorts as well, and just asked me to have lunch, and uh, we got talking, he told me a lot about Boom and what they were doing, and I've been a fan of their publisher, and they've really made a huge, huge push to bring new original content in. As a writer who very much believes in doing my own stuff, it was exciting to be able to talk to someone who was also excited about that and who had a publishing infrastructure where they're putting money like straight into developing new stuff, not telling you what to do, not trying to give you like stuff to reboot. And uh, they said, hey, if you have anything you want to kind of throw to us like that you'd like to develop and work on, let me know. And uh, I sent them over the kind of the, a very rough sketch of what I was thinking with Black Market, and which initially at the time we were calling Cruel Science, or at least I was calling Cruel Science. I sent them like a very basic paragraph over to Eric, like what if a, a man who's a scientist discovered a cure for cancer in the blood of superheroes and had to hunt down superheroes. And Eric really loved that and saw the potential. And from there, we took it completely back to the square one and kind of rebuilt it from there. And, and over the term of the year, we worked and worked and Revised, and then I guess around, oh gosh, very recently, maybe around January, he signed Victor onto the project after we had written almost two issues, which was amazing as I love Victor. And anyone who's seen the book just sees the beautiful he's, work he's done along with uh, colorist Adam Metcalf. And we were just kind of off to the races. And uh, I, I love working with Boom because uh, I work with two editors, Eric Harburn and Chris Rosa, and we're really collaborative in a sense of story editing. So, like, we'll get on the phone and discuss where things go, like what's sounding good, like how it's working. It's a really nice way to work and have a great sounding board. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and there's often a lot of confusion as what editors really do. Mm -hmm. And I've been fortunate enough that uh, most of the editors I work with are really kind of story editors. Like they're not going to get in there and rewrite your script. You're going to discuss with them. They're going to make suggestions. You're going to go back and forth. And when it comes time to write, you have all that with you. And it's it's so nice because it's the exact opposite of what I do on Five Ghosts. And Five Ghosts is completely done alone. Like it's me, Chris Mooneyham, and Lauren Affey. Like mm -hmm. me, the artist and the colorist who work on that book. And here, it's really nice to approach it from a kind of more collaborative way. And uh, again, so, so Eric and Chris have been amazing and really pushed me and helped me get a story into shape that I'm super proud of. And I feel like fits very nicely within four issues. And, and that's a very different approach I took to this than White Suits, because again, White Suits predated Five Ghosts in development. And I really kind of started put together when, quite frankly, I was, I was a worse writer. I was like 24 years old when I put that together in an outline. And I rewrote a lot of it last year, I'm 29 now, and, and just had to kind of retcon almost a lot of what I had in the initial pitch. And it was so nice to come into this knowing that it was only going to be four issues, that mm. here's how we can economically use this space and tell the story we want to tell. And mm. 
I'm rambling a bit now, but but basically that's mm-hmm. how how things came about. Eric approached me, and mm-hmm. we liked it, and we've just been working, and Boom really believed in it. And I'm mm-hmm. so so thrilled with how it came out. Uh, as I said, I think the book looks better than I could have ever expected. Victor and Adam are doing such tremendous work, and I honestly feel it's one of the best things I've ever written. I'm really excited for people to be able to see all four issues, as it's actually all done already. We got really ahead of it. Victor is tremendously fast, which is really helpful, and. Uh, mm. And I think Mm -hmm. there's a lot of surprises still coming. Structurally, we did a really interesting thing where uh, the book in and of itself covers a pretty wide timeline. I'd say there's almost like a three-year gap we're looking at where there was stuff initially happening that's very important to our story versus just focusing in on one linear moment. So we do jump around a lot, which uh, Mm -hmm. I know (laughs) can confuse some people, but it was all very meticulously planned. And in the scheme of it, I think it reads really well once you can see the whole picture. Because Mm -hmm. in issue two, we made a very deliberate choice that the events in issue two, a lot of them happened before the events in issue one. Mm -hmm. Because we really wanted to jump in. And and anyone listening, I'm sorry, I'm assuming you've you've read it. If you haven't, sorry for the minor spoilers. I won't get too plot heavy, but... uh, we really want to get that ambulance scene in issue one where they have the kind of uh, fire superhero in the back of the ambulance because that was a really cool visual space. And we, and we want to see our characters capturing mm-hmm. a hero and kind of taking his blood. And we see that as well in issue two. But for me, issue two is very much about we echo a lot of the uh, circumstances like with the brother arriving at the door. We're actually seeing something before that and getting a little bit of a snapshot of how Ray was before he was kind of in the thick of this. And uh, I don't know, for me, I, I thought it was really important to step back and to get to know the character a little well. And uh, I'm always very interested with how people respond to things. Mm-hmm. I saw a few readers being like, well, reviewers being like, oh, like this retreads the same ground as the first issue. And I'm like, yeah, but it's about bringing a different lens almost to it, just showing how Ray has kind of become hardened over time and, and that he's still ignorant of exactly what he's doing. But uh, again, I, I look forward to them seeing issues three and four where stuff really takes a turn and it's important that we spend this time building them up because clearly we're going to start knocking stuff down as we only have four issues. So we hit that midpoint and we ended on another cliffhanger that I think uh, is an exciting way to turn into issue three and four. Like we're just wrapping up the odds and ends and I'm really, really proud of how it ends and, and think that this is a book that we planned really well in a sense that after you read the ending you can really kind of go back and re-examine a lot of stuff and see stuff we have planted mm-hmm. well that's great because a deep book like this is, is a good one to read you know a lot of comics tend to be superficial in nature you know you're trying to watch things as they go by but there's really not a lot of depth to what's happening but one of the things about black market i think that's great is the fact that there is a lot of depth to the characters and a lot of depth to the story and I didn't mind the second issue sort of going overground because there were gaps that were being filled in that I thought you guys were doing that made it all the better. Oh, actually, well, that, that was the intent, so I'm glad to hear that. I mean, it's so hard because it's such a balancing act, and that's why I say I was so happy to approach this with four issues really in mind. Like, we knew exactly how much room we had, and, and this is maybe the most like meticulously planned book I've ever done and, and quite frankly made me a better writer from doing that as now I know how to use that space. I mean, I've got two arcs of five ghosts behind me, a bunch of solar white suits, which I really loved. And I feel like Toby Cypress brought so much too, but on my part, I could have planned better. It kind of just happened so fast. It was so chaotic. I brought a lot of that to this project and said, I love this concept. I love this world. How can we get a really tight story that pays off? And, for, and, and I'm really proud of what we've done. So I'm, so I'm glad that, <laughs> that it works for you, long story short, because it, re- it works for me and it worked for my editors, so I'm happy. And uh, I do think it's something that will be rewarding to read through when it's all together again. But also, mm-hmm. I, I always try to be very aware. I mean, 
we write for trade, like writers in general now, but I feel like each unit of the story does have a satisfying like kind of issue read. And mm-hmm. I'm always always trying to focus on the pacing for that because I don't want people to feel like it necessarily like goes by too quick or anything like that because again, they, your time as a reader to me is not. Well, that's the best kind of writing, and I see it on television all the time. When you get to something, something happens, and you go, oh, that meant this back at that point, because you didn't understand what all the stuff was going on until you see where your people are headed, and that's the kind of stuff I like. I, so for me, the second issue was not a problem at all, so I'm, I'm kind of surprised to hear that people didn't like that, but well, well. <laughs> and again, I, I, don't, I don't mean to immediately like react uh, <laughs> to Chris, but I, I just thought it was interesting, because I, I just went back and reread it after that. I'm like, you know what? It does take us back but it's very deliberate stuff and it's one thing that I'm so often like interested when I comment and things exactly like again I very much not like have a thick skin with that but I'm still so interested in how work's being perceived because I still learn like oh well when I do this like people react this way when I do this people react a different way and uh, to me that's really important I mean as writing goes I write for myself but it's a commercial product I want to know mm-hmm. what works and what doesn't but uh I don't know, sometimes I joke, like, it's always difficult for someone to review one piece of something, which I never quite understood. It's like, oh, I'm mm-hmm. going to watch, like, the second act of a film, then write a review, without knowing how anything pays off. And, and again, mm-hmm. it, people got to do that. It's how it works. But uh, mm-hmm. there's definitely a lot of stuff here, something where we have it so deliberate that as we fill in those timeline gaps in, a, like I said, issue four, like, I'm super proud of. And in issue four, we see events that kind of, I've been happening in the background throughout the whole narrative that really bring a brand new perspective to everything. Okay. Well, it sounds good. Now, I was reading an interview that you did with a site called Unleash the Fanboy, and there was a lot of stuff in there that kind of explained a couple of things to me. And there is one quote that you made that I thought was really something that, that I'd love for you to expound on, and that was where you referred to superheroes as the ultimate 1%. Uh, I thought that, that was a great way to, to describe it. Do you want to explain what you meant by that? Oh, absolutely. And that's really almost one of our controlling ideas for the book that emerged. And, and as I said, when I thought of this this concept and really the idea of someone having to kind of hurt superheroes in order to get this greater good, I was like, well, what if, to put it bluntly, the superheroes in our world were kind of like dicks? Like, they were not people who just kind of stepped up and were doing the right thing. They're these beings that no one knows where they came from, like... They're better than us in every way. I mean, they're better looking, they're stronger. They are these kind of super entities that stand outside humanity. And that really kind of changed the tone of the book for me a little bit. And we'll see more and more of the superheroes. And they're not bad by any means. I mean, they're superheroes. They're saving the day and fighting crime, so to speak. But they're really a complete foil to the heroes we have, the kind of working class heroes who are our golden age and black market. These are people with actual superheroes who are practically gods who literally stand above society. And it got me thinking a lot of, and by no means is the book a really like a, a super gritty real world take on superheroes, but if superheroes did appear, people would be pretty freaked out. Like not everyone would be excited about that. If they're, mm-hmm was suddenly a guy who can melt you with his vision or punch a hole through you. You have to think of, and a lot of writers have done this, by no means did I, did I invent that take, but uh, even opening Black Market 2, like, we have a superhero stop the bank robber by punching a hole through him, and while in the moment that seems like a great way to solve a problem, it's against the law, it's, again, it, it's a deplorable act in a lot of ways as well, and I think approaching them as being almost like, Again, a one percent, just something that all of humanity sits outside and, and can aspire to, but will never quite get there. Like, does bring a big separation, and 
and I included to mirror the economy a little bit, like, and, and then when we changed the name to black market and we saw the underlines of this really kind of like, oh, well, we have people trying to steal from them to, to kind of balance things out. It really just became a really nice, like, metaphor that we never want to push on in the book, but, uh, if I get a chance to talk about it, it definitely is something that's really buried there that we're happy with and, and really serves as a nice controlling idea for us. I was interested, too, that you mentioned the fact that you didn't want to write a book about superheroes unless you could add something to the whole superhero genre. Because, you know, let's face it, superheroes are endless. You know, you get, yeah. you buy, I love Batman and I buy it every, every month, but, you know, you've got to go back and reset it so that somebody else can pick it up. What you're doing with your book is you're introducing some new aspect to it, the notion that there is, <laughs> that superheroes may do better good if they're not alive than if they are, which is kind of a, an interesting way to look at it. And I thought that was a really interesting addition to the whole notion of the superhero that you guys had put into it. Thank you so much. And I always jock that Bendis quote because Powers is one of my favorite books. And I always read comics, but I wasn't so serious about it during like my middle school years. But when I got into high school, that's when Powers just started coming out and, and I discovered really Image for the first time. I, I mean, I like read Spawn in passing when I was a kid, but like I never really paid attention to, like, oh, this is, like, original IP from an artist. That, that never dawned. But Powers is really the book that brought me in. And Bendis would always say, like, it's almost pointless to try to add to the superhero canon or create your own book unless you have a true take on it. And, uh, and now not just to name drop writers I like, but I, I was just listening to uh, Ed Brubaker speak at, about the fade out coming out. He was talking about superheroes and saying superheroes aren't even really a genre, they're a trope. And I think that's hmm. a really good point. So I, I'd argue that Black Market is almost more of like a crime drama with superheroes in it, that, that we explore a lot of those tropes and, and maybe not subvert them or dig too deeply in, but definitely are aware of what's there, what people expect, what people know. And for me, that was really important to find the take that wasn't just like, oh, a story about a superhero who's super strong and can save the day. Mm-hmm. Anybody will want to write that story, by the way. Like, I mean, when, when you get into trying to make comics, everyone's first ideas are always like superhero books. I mean, I always joke the first thing I ever thought of back when I was like 19, I'm like, oh, wait, you can like make comics. I, was, I tried to write this comic that was just blatantly like a crappy X Men. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I was mm-hmm. like, and I mean, quickly mm-hmm. you run into the wall with that. You realize, like, oh, well, when that was invented, like, there was something really special about that idea and those characters that spoke. And I think it's really just maturing a bit as a writer and and finding the separation between like, just like plot and what you want work to say. And Mm -hmm. black market, I definitely came in with a plot first, but then thought about and and through a lot of discussion with my editorial, like what do I really want this book to be about? Like what do I want it to say? And how does that color my view on, on superheroes, on politics, on morality and, and really, a lot of the, the last chapter, too, we get a really nice look at, again, at the age-old question of, like, if a man's, like, stealing an apple to feed his family, is it worth it? Does it make the man a criminal or does it make him a hero? And mm-hmm. I think having superheroes in the story as almost what's supposed to be that ideal is a really nice echo to that, mm-hmm. to be like, oh, well, this is what it's supposed to look like, but is that really the best thing? Well, one of the things I noticed in your book, as compared to other superhero books, we don't actually get to know the superheroes very well. They basically are 
bodies that can be used to a, for a greater good. And that's very different from what I'm used to reading in superheroes. You know, Ray, who you described as the main character, as somebody who has a lot of restrained fury, and his brother Denny, those are the ones who are the most fleshed out. You know, we don't see the superhero very much, uh, the different characters, who they are, what their motivations are a lot of the time. But we do see their motivations and the, and the people around them a lot more. And, and if you were, honestly, in the real world, if there were superheroes, we wouldn't know these people and their motivations. We'd just see them in action. So in, in many ways, Black Market is one of the more realistic superhero comics that I've read. Thank you. And I think that's something that really came to us naturally when we were trying to put together where that's what makes it that, quote, realistic look. Because in a real world, we're telling a human story about people reacting to the existence of superheroes. And the way I always used to try to pitch it, because I never wanted to pitch the book as a superhero book, because especially as a new writer that's poisoned, you try to be like, I want to do a superhero book. And everyone will be like, uh, yeah, go get a job for Marvel or DC. <laughs> but, uh, mm-hmm. but I was really keen on saying that superheroes texture, like they're there, their background. And, and I, I think Bendis does that in an awesome job in Powers, where he's writing, I mean, they're a little more present, it's a little more about them, but still like that idea of it's a police procedural with superheroes. So that they're there texturing the world and especially now like post films more than a lot of the superhero films because there are people get the idea of a superhero mm-hmm. you don't need to spend so much time setting that up and that's mm-hmm. what makes it fun to do books like this which we am not giving us too much credit we're trying to read it but I feel like we can subvert the genre a little bit because of that because people know what's supposed to be there mm-hmm. and, and that's why I really love the idea of the superheroes that almost people are very apprehensive about like that scene in the apartment in number two like yeah, not everyone is thrilled to have them around. People are scared. They don't understand them, and they have freakish abilities. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> there will be a school of people who will be excited by that because they stop crying, but also there's going to be so many questions in, in different views. Mm-hmm. Well, that's one of the things about your book is it's a very smart book and a very literate book on that sense is because we get to look at people and the situation through the human eyes and through how things could be made better by them in a way even they don't expect. And I found that to be a very, very smart way to look at it and very interesting and, and, and something I'd never seen before. So I really like Black Market a lot. And I just think you guys are doing a terrific job on it. Thank you so much. And, and like I said, it, it's a book that I was always passionate about because I knew there was something there, but I really give it to Boom for taking a chance as anything with superheroes is very, very risky. And they were never shied away from that, never scared of it. And then also just, like I said, Victor has rendered it in, in such a beautiful way. I'm such a huge fan of his book, and he has such great storytelling, and it's such great design work. We're, we're going to see a really great character, number three, uh, one of the... Uh, kind of golden age superhero called Tiger Bomb, who is a kind of also retired boxer who's friends with Bruiser, and, and Victor just did a beautiful scene with him. I mean, it's a pretty grisly scene, but he definitely got excited and brought us 80, and I'm so happy to, to be in touch with him and call him a friend, as I love his work so much, and uh, mm-hmm. you know, it's a real honor to have him on the book, and he, uh, again, I can't emphasize it often, everyone involved did such a good work, and uh, it's funny because I usually letter my own stuff, but uh, Ed Dukeshire lettered this and did such a better job. <laughs> I would have I'm like, oh, I, I think I realize I'm actually pretty crappy at lettering now. But uh, <laughs> Ed also did a wonderful job with that. And, and Victor definitely does really, really awesome layouts. And, and once I knew he was on the book and I could start writing to his strengths a little more, uh, I think Ed did a really good job of bringing that all in. Because uh, this book was also new for me because I'm not really into writing captions so much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I, I started a lot more 
once I ventured out of Five Ghost territory, but uh, I want the captions to do something, not just be glorified thought balloons. And they are actually a real-time like a conversation happening, which is something we'll find out later on, not to spoil everything, but we'll see what the nature of these captions really is at the end. Mm-hmm. Now, you mentioned, of course, that this is a Forge miniseries, but in your interview, you said that should there be enough interest that you could come back with more stories having to do with the situation and the characters. Uh, yeah, absolutely. And it's something we discussed, and I mean, it won't be immediate, but it is something that we have thankfully stumbled out of worlds here, and we're really happy with everything we've done, and I don't want to speak of the ending so much, and it will definitely close out this chapter, but I don't know. It's a place we really like, and we all like working together, so hopefully we can uh, muster something else up as a follow-up. And it's great because we have so much space to either go prequel or sequel, so to speak. You know, mm-hmm. That's the best ground to be in, because once we find something that excites us, we can all move. Well, a good story will always lend itself to more stories. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's the thing, right? I, I feel like that's the difference for me, where concepts I want to pursue and concepts that don't, it's once the story gets going, it does have legs like that as a way to spy up. You know, we're super happy with reception, people dig it, and hey, it's all I can ask for. I was just actually talking about this with one of my peers. I've been really kind of blessed to be able to do my own stuff this early on and have it not fail totally as a... <laughs> We're in a really special time for the market right now where new writers and artists can come out with original content and have it sell as well as it does. It's just kind of astounding to me because it's the total opposite of the way it's always been. And there is a fear there, though. I, I was just, again, I apologize for that tangent, but I was just talking about it with my uh, friend. But it's insane to me that I immediately entered the sphere of relevance almost in a way, or at least the immediate, like, market with some of my favorite writers and that's constantly mm-hmm. horrifying as you look at like what Brian Paul's doing with Saga, what like Remender's doing with his books, what Brubaker's doing. Mm-hmm. I mean, that I step back and like, Jesus, like they're almost my peers at this point. Like I need to really get moving. But I, I mean, it's, it's the equivalent of growing up in front of everybody is what I say. Mm-hmm. Now. Like, and I'm happy that people are starting to like seek out my work by name alone. That's really an honor. And I hope they continue to enjoy the new stuff we're putting out because uh and I'm really happy to be doing a lot of work for hire right now, like, and, and really kind of getting into some stuff at Marvel and DC, which is also been, quite frankly, a dream come true. But uh, I am someone who always will value having my own stuff. I mean, Five Ghosts we are going to do as long as humanly possible, uh, and the TV show stuff will hopefully help that a bit. Uh, but uh, then uh, I have a lot of new content that... Uh, I mean, I have two new books I'm hoping specifically to do at Image. We'll see where this goes. I mean, it, there's a lot of heavy lifting on my part with that, as I need to kind of really have them ready to go. But uh, I'm excited to bring more there, continue five videos, and I have, again, a slew of new original content I want to bring out, hopefully in 2015. Jeez, I can't believe I have to say that already. Like, <laughs> that, mm-hmm. we're, I'm already thinking that very best. But, again, I, I'm someone who likes doing my own stuff, and... I'm very fortunate to be at a wealth of publishers right now and feel like I have a really solid base of options when it comes to doing books. And every publisher I've worked with is amazing and excited. And everyone has pros and cons. Like, a lot of people want to try to, like, think, like, oh, well, why would you do this book here or this book here? And it's really just finding an appropriate time and place. Like, it, for me, someone, like, again, I don't have the luxury of having an open door anywhere. I need to kind of make my case. And mm-hmm. there's a million decisions that goes into that. But uh, everyone has been so kind of accommodating. And uh, even when people have passed and stuff, like, just getting positive feedback and knowing that they're interested in what you're doing means a lot to me. So. Well, the good thing for you right now is the fact that, like, you've been working at Image and Boom and Dark Horse and Dynamite and also Marvel. 
So you yeah, know, if there's it's been a, been a crazy year. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, that's good for you though, isn't it? If you have a concept, let's say that Marvel doesn't care for, but Image will buy. You know, isn't that's a good thing for you because you get to create the thing you want to do just in a different place. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, that's the beauty of not being like a one-sided writer who like kind of tries to plant their flag in one place. And so important for me being so new in the industry, like. Again, there are some people who will discover different work in different ways, and maybe people who follow one publisher. And it, it always amazes me when I get like Twitter messages or anything like that, because you feel like once your work is out, it's like everyone who reads comics is going to see it. But like every day, I get like, oh, I just found Five Ghosts like at my store. I'm going to pick up the trades, or like, oh, I read your book on Boom, and now I'm looking at what else you've done. And it's a really good feeling to know that people are excited about your work because it's yours, not just because, oh, like, I love Batman, so now I'm going to read everything Batman, not care who's doing it. But, but I mean, that happens too. I mean, the Doctor Strange thing I did was really a great way to get out there. And, and I've, I've actually done some DC stuff too that I forget that it's not out yet, but uh, I did uh, the Superboy Futures End issue with Ben Caldwell. Oh. And uh, I'm actually really excited for that. Ben did a fantastic job and it was really fun to do a superboy story like uh kind of outside of continuity so to speak and mm-hmm. it is actually con in our superboy story too newsarama did a big thing uh <laughs> about where he is and how he's going to end up as ben and i also did this gen 13 prologue that was in supergirl last month that uh can't really talk too much about that but uh i guess that was actually my first published dc work which is actually pretty funny <laughs> the uh <laughs> the two pages mm. in supergirl but uh Mm-hmm. There's some more stuff I've been doing with them, and, and they've been great. And it's really, like I said, an honor and not to be too poetic about, but like uh, romantic about, but like a dream come true to be able to write some of these characters. So I can't mm-hmm. complain. And flex is so many different muscles in your brain, too, mm-hmm. as a writer. It's great to be able to hop around from genres and characters and let that inform the writing. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just trying to figure who you haven't written for at this point. <laughs> I, I think know. it's really just IDW and Oni. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe if they're listening. Well, which are both awesome companies. And I, I've talked to IDW a lot, and I really like a lot of their licenses and things like that. And they're great people, and, and Oni too. But uh, again, we'll see. It's just all a matter of where things fit in the best. As I, as I think everything, especially with the creator on publishers, everyone has very good brand right now and, and very good, like, I don't know. It, it just excites me to see so many publishers bringing new stuff out. Oni in particular has an awesome, awesome slate of books coming out this year. I'm, Mm-hmm. I'm so glad to see a lot of people they're doing books with, like, really taking off. Like, I really like Josh Rielkov, and his books mm-hmm. there have been great. Mm-hmm. Bunker, and uh, he uh, did that other one recently that, that, that was about a guy that goes into a different space or time. Really good stuff. His stuff is always good, though. Yeah, so, yeah. No, and, yeah, he just, uh, his other book, The Life After, issue two, came out mm-hmm. today. That was fantastic. So. Mm-hmm. Really he's, good stuff. he's super nice too like I, I've mm-hmm. been fortunate enough to hang out with him a few times and so so kind and so much good advice to give me so mm-hmm. yeah, I got to interview him too and talk about his work and so he has a good way of doing things from a little different perspective and that'll always help in, in today's now, I did want to talk with you briefly about five ghosts oh please yes yeah, sorry to ramble they, <laughs> I said, no it's okay there's a couple of things that in the last several weeks I've been interviewing people who are making their own comics and in the interview 
Unleash the Fanball, you talked about the fact that if you want to get into comics, the thing to do is get out and make comics. You were involved with Five Ghosts, and you got it going through Kickstarter, which a lot of the people I've talked to recently seem to be going through in order to get their books made. You get people to actually get in there and support it, and then once you've got the money to actually make it, then you know you make it and it gets people's attention when that happens. You talked about the fact that the way that to get into comics is to make comics, but going through Kickstarter and, and putting Five Ghosts, and now it's an image and it's going and and you've got what issue 13 coming out in october yes yeah it's it's i can't believe we have that many out already <laughs> <laughs> what's the basic premise of five ghosts because i honestly i have not had a chance to read that one yet oh okay so, well yeah you got a lot you can get into it if you want to but uh okay. it's, uh about a treasure hunter in what what we say is like an amorphous 30s period so he's very much like Indiana Jones at his root. But the hook of the book is he's possessed by five ghosts that take the form of literary characters. So mm-hmm. it's a ghost for Merlin, Musashi Miyamoto, Dracula, Robin Hood, and Sherlock Holmes. And he can channel each of their abilities. Hmm. Very cool. So it's 13 issues you've got going into the story. How many storylines have you had in Five Ghosts so far? We went through two and then had a standalone. So the first arc was five, and that's in the first volume. It's called uh, mm-hmm. The Haunting of Fabian Gray. Our main character's name is Fabian Gray. Mm-hmm. Not to be confused with Dorian Gray, <laughs> which uh, <laughs> causes some people a, a double take. And then this, we did a standalone issue for issue six, which actually our good friend Gary Brown did guest star on. And it's uh, about Fabian kind of going to Japan, and we did a kind of like horror ninja story. That was very fun. And uh, then the new arc we just wrapped up was called Lost Coastlines, which was big endeavor. It was a six-part story that, again, went from issue seven to 12. And the second trade just came out. It's called Lost Coastlines and has issues six through 12 in it. And uh, we're really, really proud of it. And at this point, like I said, it was a book that both Chris and I and then our colorist Lauren Affey were all very new to the industry when we started working on it. And we've all done a ton of stuff now. And and I guess Lauren was already doing some stuff at Dark Horse. But now we're at the point where we know what the book is so inherently and are so happy and like entrenched in it. Like we're just so excited to do even better stuff with it. And we've always been happy, but it's really a book that taught us to kind of be comics professionals. (laughs) So uh, Mm And Chris, I absolutely adore how he draws. Like, I, I'm so lucky that I met him when we were both still, like, kids, so to speak. And, uh, mm-hmm. and literally, this was his first work. And hopefully, it's a book we're going to do forever now. <laughs> we both oh, wow. enjoy it. And, I mean, he's my co-creator on it and collaborator. And it's our love letter to comics and everything we like about genre. And it's really the most fun we could have. And it's something that comes from a very pure place because it's really just the three of us working on it. <laughs> and we're the only ones to blame if people ever don't like it. <laughs> but, okay. Uh, And the big news we had coming out of Comic-Con was it's actually uh, in development for television right now, which we're really excited about and came about in a really natural, organic way. Like, I mean, there's a lot of always weird interest when you put stuff out through Image because, I mean, the television companies have figured it out that the creators own the rights. But uh, we the press release was at the bottom of a Warren Ellis press release, which is why we laugh, like before Comic-Con. But uh the show has been pretty much fast-tracked. Like, honestly, as long as we don't hit a hurdle, like, it could be on TV next summer, which mm-hmm. is insane to us. And uh, we're kind of waiting for a network to come in. We've started having meetings on it, and, and it's just insane. It's something I never expected, mm-hmm. and I keep my fingers crossed. The take we have, I'm so happy with, because I'm not writing the show. I'm involved in, in collaborating, but uh, it's a completely true take to the comic. They didn't change the period or anything silly like that. So we're really happy that everyone had uh, 
at UCP, who is uh, kind of our studio, is very excited. And the uh, writer attached is Evan Darty. He wrote Snow White in The Huntsman, and uh, I mean, had a big weekend. He wrote was one of the writers on Ninja Turtles, and he's a guy who kind of really likes action, like genre, and, and likes literary, and was really excited by our take on that. And I'm just so happy to see so much of the book kind of make it in there. But yeah, no, it, it seems really cool. We're excited. They're talking to cool people and everyone's happy. And for me, being a comics person, I just like if, if we could get that spotlight on the book, even beyond just announcing it, mm-hmm. that will just give us the infrastructure to do it as long as we want. And that would make me so happy. <laughs> Very cool. Well, I do want to touch on uh, you, you're talking a lot about your creations, your, you know, your creator own properties, but you're actually doing a book. And of course, you talked about Doctor Strange, too, but you're actually doing what I like to call Solar Woman of the Atom. Ah, uh, yes, right. which has been such a amazing, fulfilling experience for me. I can't emphasize enough how happy I was. As that came about so quickly, like literally, I think issue two of Five Ghosts was out, and Nick approached me about doing some stuff about Dynamite, and it happened to be Solar after we got together. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I feel so amazed that we had the ability to do whatever we wanted, and, and clearly we did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and writing that book is so fun to me because we have this world of Solar we can build off of, but it feels very much like writing my own book, because Mm-hmm. we reinvented the character and in solar in the same way i was saying everyone kind of gets superheroes like uh, i was just rereading all-star superman and it's it's subconscious of where i did it but when grant morrison just does the ordinary superhero in four panels i mean in no way am i comparing my book to all-star superman <laughs> but uh mm-hmm. that's the same thing in the first issue of solar we see the origin of dr solar in four panels like we get mm-hmm. like you understand scientist gets irradiated gets superpowers there we go mm-hmm. let's move on we don't need to spend Days and days and issues and issues <laughs> dredging over mm-hmm. this. And, and for me, it was really giving us a new character, which is his daughter, Erica, who has an entirely different outlook on superpowers, on science, on her place in the world. And that was the story I was interested in telling. And, and it, it really kind of upped the ante by having her be a family member of Solar. And then we've also got her brother, Colin, and, and the big reveal at the end of issue four is that he also has the Solar power. So both mm. of them have powers. And it's building towards a very <laughs> purposeful place. And, uh, I just finished issue six, and uh, issue four has came out. Issue five should be out soon. But uh, the next arc, uh, which is uh, loosely called Intergalactic, that's also the uh, uh, name of issue five, but uh, is about Erica and Phil kind of are lost in space after the events of issue four. And mm-hmm. we're going to kind of get a bunch of done in one stories about them in different planets and different places, kind of seeing things Phil has, for lack of a better term, just totally screwed up in the universe. As he said out loud, like, I went to space when I first got my powers and some bad stuff went down and now we're seeing some of those exact repercussions and also really exploring who Erica is as a character. I'm really proud of issue six and I feel like we get to really see Erica well she has a, a new costume first and foremost like we really want to differentiate her from, from normal red solar. She has an all white costume that uh, actually our cover artist Juan Doe uh, designed and uh, it looks so great on the page. I'm so happy with it. And no more visor. She doesn't have the Cyclops visor. I was <laughs> into getting that out. But uh, she feels like a very new character. It's really nice that I feel like to put a lot of myself into that and, and give a very new viewpoint on what makes Solar Solar by having someone who isn't Phil Celeste. We still have Phil, he's still there, and he makes a great counterpoint. It's become very much a, like, almost buddy drama with her and her dad, where they have such different outlooks on what they're even doing. And again, he's sort of a strange cause, like, they have not been together in years and years and years, and 
now suddenly they're bonded so close. It's it's definitely right for a lot of comedy and drama. So uh, it's, it's mm-hmm. definitely become a lot more funny than I thought it would ever be. Mm-hmm. But uh, mm-hmm. it's very refreshing to me. I, I've enjoyed writing it so much. And we have a nice long run plan for it, which is great. So. Very cool. Well, you're going to have to change the book to Solar Woman of the Atom at some point. <laughs> well, it's funny because I don't know if we can because of the licensing. <laughs> a lot of people send me on Twitter, like, other female readers, like, we're like, why don't you change it to Woman of the Atom? Like, I would, but I just literally don't know if we can. And need to look into that because Erica is not going anywhere. It's not like a stunt where we had her for like four issues. Like, she is the main character in the book. And mm-hmm. yes, we have Phil there, but it was really kind of important for me to have this new character. And it's funny because I had never read uh, James Robinson's Starman. But a lot of people were like, oh, that's a lot like Starman, and I've been reading it. It's so, so great. And now I know we're not tread <laughs> to not <laughs> do that. But uh, that same mentality is someone who's really cannot be more different than the previous person in the mantle. And, and for us, it's fun because Erica's an artist. Her background was kind of this, like, had a punk rock girl who loved art and grew up to be an architect which was her way of finding a real job and and hated her dad and hated science and to see how she uses the powers and this will really see in issue six for the first time we get a big big look at her method of problem solving and applying these what are essentially science superpowers in an artful way and it's really a fun counter because we have Phil who again will will speak all the chemical equations and talk about like I have issue six he's like math is the one true language of the universe and and really kind of trying to sell his beliefs to her and she's an adult like she heard all this growing up and she's just like yeah dad like get out of my face like that's not like and I'm going to show you and also show our readers, like, the hero is not defined by their powers, it's about who's behind the wheel. And I think mm. that's really become a nice controlling point, and we'll have even more of that, because now we reveal that Colin also has powers and has a very different agenda for America. So. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm big on female lead characters because we don't have nearly enough of them. So I'm glad to see that you've got her in charge of Solar and going in a different direction. It's really kind of cool. Yeah, it's really like. And again, I mean, I'm a huge advocate for just diversity in general, and there's almost a, a weird weight to that. Like, when we, we started planning it, like, I didn't want to feel exploited or just, like, a publicity stunt, but really it helped so much in thinking about, like, how is her viewpoint so different from Phil? Like, not even gender, but just looking at that character as someone so completely different, and it really just helped us build someone who we could give such interesting, different sensibilities to. And mm-hmm. I, I feel like for me, it was very important for it to not be, like, I didn't want her to be like Wonder Woman, like just like a bruiser, like super strong woman who's going to punch stuff because she could hang with the boy. Like that was mm-hmm. not ever anywhere. So we really want to see, like, examine who she was as a person and see how those sensibilities applied to her using the powers. And mm-hmm. yeah, I think we've been very successful with that. And, it's fun to think about. I mean, it's a classic kind of fish out of water where someone suddenly gets superpowers. And uh, mm-hmm. it's constantly different for me because, I mean, when you're writing superhero stuff, there is always the, like, you want to be clever and figure out how to use the powers in your ways. But with Erica, it's two-sided because I also want to figure out literally, like, how would someone who is an artist and, like, for the most part, like, a pacifist, like, and, and not someone who's, like, a brawler use these powers beyond just zapping people in the face. You know what I mean? There's plenty of that, but underneath that, we see a lot more of her now starting to come into her own and use her own sensibilities to apply, mm. I guess, her extra normal abilities in a way that's true to her. Mm-hmm. And that's a big part of her giving herself a costume. Like, 
the funny moment where <laughs> Solar looks at her and goes, what did you do? And she's like, I abandoned your terrible fashion sensibilities. Like, <laughs> the joke that she can reform the costume in any way. And she's like, why would mm-hmm. I stick bright red if I could do that? And he's like, well, fair. So... <laughs> Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, very cool. Well, Solar is a great book, too. I want to touch on White Suits before I let you go real quickly. Do you want to tell people a little bit about the White Suits? So White Suits is a action crime comic I did with Dark Horse that was in... <laughs> Clearly, my favorite thing about comics is getting to work with collaborators, and I've been so fortunate that all the collaborators I work with are insanely talented, and uh, Toby Cypress, who drew and colored the White Suits, is no exception. He's a really energetic, crazy, interpretive artist. And coming into it, I said to him, I'm like, Toby, this is not Frank Barberry telling you what to draw. This is me working with you so you can do what you do because you're such a unique voice. And he honestly floored me with it. But uh, anyhow, it's uh, it's told all in black and white and red, very visual striking. It's about a group of killers called the White Suits who were active in 80s Cold War Russia kind of disrupting the uh, crime scene, and then they disappeared, and now they've resurfaced in America. And our two leads, one of them was a member of the White Suits who has amnesia, and all he remembers is these kind of killers in white suits, and then one shooting in the head and forgetting that's what caused him to forget. And then an FBI agent named Sarah Anderson who investigating the white suits because she believes that they killed her father through uh, kind of some information she's been digging. And it's... Mm-hmm. It's definitely a mystery that has a very clear payoff in issue four that uh, kind of reveals what the real concept is about. You'll have to read it to find out, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And again, it was a story that started with a lot of style and gradually grew into this kind of big, crazy narrative that I'm really happy with and happy with the way we approached it. Because I, as I said, it was a, a book I put together actually with a uh, completely different artist, but still had that kind of white and black and red style. Mm-hmm. And I brought to Dark Wars when I complete unknown. I sent it in as like a blind submission. And uh, my editor, Chris Warner, actually saw it and was really into it and started talking to me. And we talked for about a year before anything happened. And uh, finally, he's like, listen, this was like probably three years ago. So Dark Horse and, and the industry in a whole was in a very different position. They weren't really doing new creator of work, especially with unknowns. And, but it was right when they had just launched Dark Horse Presents again. Which funny enough just launched with a new volume. So Chris came to me and said, Hey, we can't do the series right now, but how would you feel about doing shorts in the world of the series in Dark Horse Presents? And at this point, I hadn't published any comics other than self publishing, so I was like floored. I'm like, Wow, that's amazing. I'd love to do that. And uh, in doing those three shorts, we went through three different artists, thankfully, settling on Toby, but uh, it really helped me think about the scope of the book and the world as the shorts take place outside of the main narrative, but add to it. And uh, the trade comes out in November, and it has the shorts in there. And there's some stuff in the book that calls directly back to the shorts that I think people who have no idea if the shorts existed kind of missed. So I'm really excited to have it all in one package. Uh, hmm. I saw the final design, too. Doc Horse did a beautiful job designing the interior. Like I said, Toby's art is uh, second to none, so I'm really, really proud to have that all together. Because uh, I feel like it's a book a lot of people missed in magazine form. Mm-hmm. and the fans, but Toby did such striking, beautiful covers. I'm glad to have them all in one place. And like I said, I, I couldn't be more proud. It's a, it was really a book that grew for me, like I said, I wanted to do something very almost like crimey and stylized, but, but play into a lot of the things I like about, again, the crime genre and like mystery, and really kind of build this visually striking world based around these iconic characters who... Again, happened to be the bad guys, so to speak, but uh, <laughs> we learned a lot about them by the end. And, and yeah, it's another book that has a universe behind it that hopefully we can revisit one day. Mm-hmm. 
Very cool. Well, you're a busy guy. <laughs> trying to be, trying to be. <laughs> well, now, you, the only way can I can figure to keep up with all the stuff that you do, because you work for so many different companies, you happen to have a really nice website. Do you want to give people your web address so people can kind of follow you and, and see what you're up to? Oh, sure. It's atlasincognito.com. I know that maybe sounds weird out loud, but uh, that is uh, where you will find me. I try to keep my Tumblr very active, too, which is at fjbarb, my initials, .tumblr.com. And then my Twitter is also atlasincognito. I Twitter a lot. But uh, if you have a transcription, you can write A-T-L-A-S-I-N-C-O-G-N-I-T-A. And again, that goes back to one of my own viewpoints when I was self-publishing. I would self-publish under Atlas and Cognito because I, I feel like creative work is a way to kind of map the unknown, map the unconscious, and that's where that phrase came from. I try to keep people appraised. It's hard to keep up, but uh, I'm having that a lot behind me, though, as, as much as, as weird as that sounds, just because I feel like so much is now going to be finally in trade that uh, people will be able to pick it up. And I think uh, the same day as White Suits Solar Volume 1 comes out as well, which uh, we call Nuclear Family, which <laughs> I'm happy with. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know the street day on Issue 5, but Issue 5, we have Jonathan Lau, who drew the second half of Issue 4, is now a regular series artist. He's been doing amazing work. Uh, I liked what he had done on Codename Action, but he has just totally wowed me. Very cool. Well, Frank, I wish you a lot more continued success, and hopefully we'll see your name on television, we'll see your name on comics, who knows where we'll see your name next. <laughs> hopefully only good places. So we'll <laughs> That's that. right. But, uh, well, much, much obliged. Thank you so much. Well, good talking with you. People need dramatic examples to shake them out of apathy, and I can't do that as Bruce Wayne. As a man... I'm flesh and blood, I can be ignored, I can be destroyed, but it's a symbol. Get the latest from the comics universe. News, interviews, previews, and reviews. Listen to the weekly Wayne's Comics Podcast so you can keep reading your comics. Now at Majorspoilers.com. that's it for this episode. We're getting closer to episode 150, so look for something special to happen during that episode. But until then, keep reading your comics.